Welcome to Highlands Church Audio Sermons. Today, April 29th, 2018, we continue our series titled Ephesians Made Worthy, Walk Worthy. Today's sermon, The Church is About Jesus, will be taught to us by Pastor Thomas Slager of Ephesians chapter 4, verses 7 through 16. Enjoy. Go ahead, open your Bible, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 7 through 16, and this morning we're going to see how the church is about Jesus. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 7 through 16. Last week we uh, entered into chapter 4. We've been talking this whole time how the first three chapters of Ephesians are kind of about doctrine. Who is God? Who's the church? And then 4 through 6 is how then are we supposed to live? Now in 4 through 6 we're still going to see some doctrine. Who is God? Who is the church? But primarily he transitions towards application of what then are we supposed to go and do? He introduced us this last week to the phrase walk worthy. Therefore, walk worthy to a manner of which you've been called. And this morning has to do with that worthy walk and how the worthy walk is also all about Jesus. So Ephesians chapter four, verses seven through 16, I'll read it for us and then we can pray. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Let's pray. God, we know this morning, though it's my voice that's been heard, we recognize it's your word that's been spoken. And God, this morning we come to you trusting in your word as the final authority for our entire life, for everything that we believe. So God, this morning would you help us submit to it yet again? Holy Spirit, we ask that you would come and be with us, that you would open our eyes so we can see the things going on in the scriptures, that you would open our ears so we can hear the still small voice, that you'd open our minds and soften our hearts so we can perceive and know and then apply the things of the Lord to our life even this morning. God, we are so grateful um, that the things that scare us, you're not afraid of them. Um, God, we know this morning the things that catch us off guard, you saw them coming. So God, this morning we rest in you and we rest in you alone in your goodness and faithfulness um, to your church. God, would we look to your son Jesus this morning as everything. And God, would you ultimately be glorified because of it. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Uh, You'll see in your very barren and boring outline two points. Sorry it was a long week. 
those two points hopefully will serve as a guide. I realize the first was a sentence, the second was a fragment. If that's what you're concerned about emailing me about this week, then that's on you, okay? Um, the first thing we see in this passage is this, that believers are gifted by Jesus to build his church. That believers are gifted by Jesus to build his church. Who's the believers? It's those who trust in Jesus Christ for salvation. Um, it's not just those who know and acknowledge that Jesus existed, but it's those who've placed their hope, their trust, their everything into the person of Christ. It's the believers, it's the saints, it's the church. The church has been gifted by Jesus to build his church. We see this whole cycle gonna happen this morning, um, that God gives the church gifts, that God gives the church leaders, that God gives the church everything it needs so that the church can then reach inside of itself and reach outside of its walls and continue building up the body of Christ. Let's start with verse seven. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Three things I wanna look at real quick. First, this word grace. Uh, we sometimes think as soon as it talks about grace, it must be talking about salvation. Um, God has graced us with salvation if you do in fact believe in Jesus. But here, he's talking about something else. He's talking about gifts. But, but God has gifted us. And this is the theme of this whole first part, that believers are gifted by Jesus to build his church, grace was given to each of us. And I love this word grace, it's the word charis. Um, maybe you've, if you've ever heard of a little girl or a woman named charis, that's grace in the Greek. It's a really neat um, name for a child. Grace, it's the word charis. And then elsewhere we see this word spiritual gifts. You've heard of spiritual gifts, we're gonna talk about those in a second. So grace is the word charis, and then spiritual gift is the word charismata. Does this sound like any word you know of charismatic? Right? We like to point fingers and be like, oh, freaky charismatics over there, right? And, and, and we do that, but here's the deal. If you're not charismatic, it's your, you're not a Christian. And I don't mean that in a sense of if you gotta do this and shake a tambourine and wave a flag, if that's what you're into, then by all means do it, I guess. Um, but, but that's not the point. The point is, if you are in Christ, then you have been charist with charismata, therefore you are charismatic. It's just the way that this works. God gives his people gifts that they would then in turn go and serve his church. He's given us gifts to each one. Now, if you look back at the beginning of chapter four, I'll read it real quick. Go to verse four in chapter four. It says, there's one body and one spirit, just as you were called into one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, one Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. So he's talking about this unity thing, right? There's unity in the church, but there's definitely not uniformity in the church because he says, I've gifted the people in the church individually. He's given each one of us different spiritual gifts. Romans 12, verses four through six, we've got it up on the screen for you. It says this, for as in one body, we have many members. And he's gonna follow this thing over and over. One body, we have many members. I don't know if this, oh, there it goes. One body, many members, and the members do not all have the same function. We're, we're unique, we're individuals. God's gifted us um, to uniquely serve his church. So we, though, are many, we're still one body in Christ. And individually, there's many members of what? One another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. He's, God has given us each special gifts. He's uniquely equipped each of us to uniquely serve his church just how we're supposed to. 
He goes on in this passage and talks about different parts of the body because he uses this body metaphor, right? He says, man, how how useful would a body of just eyes be? It'd see a lot, but that's it. If if, if a body only had ears, well, it could hear a lot, but it couldn't go anywhere. If a body just had feet, sure, it could travel the world, but it didn't have a mind to know, then what's the point, right? So he's saying each of us have a part to play within the kingdom of God. 1 Corinthians 12, four through six, and also verse 11 refers to this thing of um, we're each gifted according to the measure of Christ, that it's God who decides the gift that we get. Now there are, are a varieties of gifts, right? There, there's, there's the teachers, the pastors, the shepherds. Um, there's the gift of mercy, the gift of helps, the gift of administration, hospi- like hospitality, uh, all sorts of different, there's a variety of different gifts, but the same spirit. And there are varieties of service but the same Lord, he does this thing again. Now there's a variety, but it's the same. There's individuality, but it's one. And there are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all and everyone. All of these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each as individually as he wills. Why have you been designed the way you've been designed? Why have you been equipped and given the gifts you've been equipped and given? Well, because God has decided to make you that way. Okay, why, why, do you, why are you just such a merciful person? Well, God's, God's given you a gift of mercy. Why is it that when, when a friend calls for help, you're the first person to jump on board. You're like, I just, I just need to help. I want to help. God's given you that gift of helps. Why is it that I like doing this and some of you would rather die than stand in front of a crowd than teach? I, I don't know. I think it's just because he's given me that gift and it's what I'm supposed to do. And frankly, when we find the calling and gift that God has given us, boy, does it feel good to walk in it. Why? Because you feel like you're doing what God has created you to do to grow up and build his church. Grace is given to each of us according to the measure of Christ. Why would he do all this? Well, it's his church. Right, so he's gonna do things the way he wants to do them. Jesus gives gifts to his church. Why? Well, because the church is about Jesus. Verse eight. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. Now throw Psalm 68, 18 up on the screen real quick because Paul kind of quotes this. Um, Let me tell you why I say kind of. Read verse eight again. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. But then you look at Psalm 68 and it says you, so we got a pronoun difference, but we're still talking about God. He ascended on high, that's the same. Leading a host of captives in your train, that's the same. But he says... He received gifts among men. So Paul says, you ascended on high and gave gifts to men, but David in the psalm says, you ascended on high and received gifts from men. And he says this from the rebellious and from all people. Now what seems like a contradiction is not, because as you look at it, this word receive here, um, it actually carries the connotation of receiving in order to later on give. Okay, and then you look at it contextually and you look at all the conquests of the Lord and everything else and, and his leaders and David and, and everybody else, they, they'd, they'd go out and they'd conquest and they'd take all the spoils and they'd redistribute them among his people. So Paul says that the thing that God did in the Old Testament where he received all those gifts, he's gonna do it again in the New Testament, but now instead of receiving all, he's going to pour out his gifts among his people so that we would build up his church. He then moves on, he goes into uh, verse nine and 10. He says, in saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions of the earth? 
He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things, right? Jesus, son of God, eternally existing all the way in the past, right? Um, What happens in John chapter one, verses one through 14? In the beginning was the word, the word was God, the word was with God, he was with God in the beginning. Verse 14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among who? Among us. It's the incarnation. He descended from his highest position to the lowly position of a servant, which he's called in Philippians 2, so that he could live the perfect life we're unable to live, so he could die the death that you and I deserve to die, so we could raise to life again, defeating death, defeating sin, and then ascend again to the hand of the right father. The right hand of the father. I think you knew what I meant. Flip to the left real quick, Ephesians chapter one, verses 20 through 23, because we've already done some of this doctrine stuff and seen where Jesus is now, where he came from and where he went. Ephesians chapter one, verses 20 through 23, it says that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Now he's far above all rule, he's far above all authority, he's far above all power, He's far above all dominion. He's far above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Not only does he talk about how he he descended to earth, but he also ascended to the highest possible position and now he's the head of all things. He's the head of the church. He fills us and lives through us so that we would go out and continue building his church. So not only does Jesus give gifts to his church to serve his church, but he does that because why? Because Jesus is the one who actually saved his church and brings people into relationships so they can be a part of his church. Verse 11, it says, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. He lists five different roles of leaders in the church. The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. The first is the apostles. These were the 12 guys in the New Testament that Jesus handpicked to lead and serve his church. Now there's qualifications for this whole thing. It was being handpicked by Jesus and you had to see the risen Lord. So all the people are running around saying, I'm apostle so-and-so. It's like, you're not. Okay, there were 12 of them. You're a disciple of Christ. You're not an apostle of Christ. It's the apostles, the people who founded the church, who preached Jesus. And then he says it's the prophets, the people who were to make a way for Jesus and prophesy what was yet to come, and then he gave the evangelist, and I love the neat words. I, I wish some of our English words tied in the same way, but this word evangelist, it's the people who go and proclaim the good news of Jesus. You notice how some people are just better at that than other people? Like Billy Graham, right? He would just stand up and like hordes of people would come to faith. There was something about him, he was an evangelist. And he'd preach the good news. That word good news, we know it is the gospel. It's the Greek word euangelion. I know that doesn't sound like it matters at all, but the Greek word evangelist is euangelistus. What's an evangelist? It's a, it's a good newser. It's someone who goes and proclaims Jesus, who talks about the good news, who talks about the gospel, and what's their role? Tell people about Jesus. 
tell people about Jesus. Fourthly, he gave the shepherds. It's the same word for pastor. Now, we talked about this during our church series last year, but I do want to refresh you real quick um, and fulfill you, or fill you in again on what the role, the biblical role of pastor is. First Peter 5.2 says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. So the very first thing a pastor must do is recognize his flock is not his flock. Okay, his flock is God's flock. And that pastors, when appointed by Jesus, they serve the chief shepherd, which, which Peter calls in 1 Peter 5, 4. In other words, you could say, who's the real senior pastor of every church that exists across the world? It's Jesus. I actually had a friend who was a pastor for a long time, and he said, welcome to such and such a church um, where our senior pastor is Jesus. And I was like, what a neat thing. What a neat understanding of the church, that the chief shepherd, the real person leading out front is Jesus Christ himself. The shepherds, the pastors then are supposed to come alongside of the church as under shepherds of the good shepherd, the chief shepherd, and care for God's flock. To shepherd his flock. What does this look like? Uh, John the Baptist, not exactly a pastor, but a great example of what a pastor should be. John chapter one, verse 29. He's ministering to his people and sees Jesus. And what does he say? He says, behold the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That's the role of a pastor. To regardless of what's happening in someone's life, regardless of whatever situation a church or family or friend finds themselves going through, is to take the congregation, point them to Jesus and say, behold, it's the lamb of God. There he is, look. That's the role of the shepherd, point the flock to Jesus. John chapter three, John and his, his disciples are, are baptizing and everything else and then, and then Jesus shows up with his disciples and they start baptizing. Sounds like a church feud, doesn't it? But here, here's what happens. See, these guys comes up to John the Baptist and they say, John, that Jesus guy has taken your followers. He says, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. You don't know how this works. Those were never my followers to begin with. And what does he say? He says, no, see, he must increase. Jesus must increase. The followers of Jesus must grow and increase. Me, slip away, fade away, decrease. That's the role of pastor. It's to shepherd God's flock. It's to care for God's people. It's to slowly fade away in the background so that people love Jesus that much more. Okay, that's why when people clap for you, because they love you, it's important to say, hey, understand, we're clapping to the most high king. That's the role of shepherd, to lead people to Jesus. The fifth thing he says is teachers, is teach people how to follow Jesus. Notice how every single church office and leader in the church exists for what? For Jesus. Proclaim Jesus, teach Jesus, point people to Jesus, equip people to serve Jesus. It's Jesus who raises the leaders to serve his church. Why would he do such a thing? Well, it's because the church is about Jesus. Verse 12, why does he give leaders? To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. First he says equip the saints. It's prepare believers to prepare them. So not only do we point to Jesus and say, behold the Lamb of God, look to Jesus, follow Jesus. We help people understand how they've um, been called, how they've been equipped, and teach them to use those gifts to glorify Jesus. It's the point of this whole thing. Help people follow Jesus. Help people know Jesus. Help people see how they've been equipped and called by Jesus so they can go and serve who? Jesus. It's all about Jesus. 
Equip the saints for the work of the ministry. And ministry is work, is it not? You know, people have said, if you find the perfect church, don't go there because you're bound to screw it up. Right? The church would be perfect if it wasn't for the people. Unfortunately, the church is not a building, it's a people. It's a body of believers. Therefore, ministry is work. Parenting would be simple if you didn't have any kids. Right? Friendship would be easy if you didn't have any friends. Ministry is work and ministry is difficult. Why? Because people can be difficult. It doesn't change the fact we've been called to follow and serve Jesus for the building up of his body. It says for the building up the body of Christ. Ephesians 2 verse 19. Go ahead and flip back a little bit to Ephesians chapter 2. That's another one of those doctrinal things we've already covered. Ephesians chapter 2 Verse 19, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Now he's going to talk about how this house has been built. Built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. We've talked about those guys. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So let's run with this metaphor of of the church not being a brick and mortar building, but the church being a flesh and blood body of Christ. How does that happen? How does that work? The prophets, they pave the way for Jesus. They lay the foundation. Jesus shows up and becomes the cornerstone. The apostles, they lay the foundation for the church. The evangelists, they recruit people to come and be a part of the body of Christ. The shepherds, the teachers, they oversee the building project and help people use the tools that God has given them to then in turn help Jesus build his church. And then the church, what do we do? We use our gifts to build God's flesh and blood building of the church. Listen, our building is beautiful, right? I mean, look around and you're like, yeah, it's a pretty place. Do you know what I think is more majestic and more beautiful? The real body of Highlands. The church. Brick and mortar, cool. Eventually this whole place is going to come down. The church, that stands forever. Friends, I would encourage you during this whole time, don't just go to church, but you please consider on being the church. We need each other right now. We cannot just show up and play the game and say, I'm going to church. If all you do is go to church, then you've misunderstood what the church is. A church isn't a location, a church isn't a place, a church isn't a building, a church is the body of Christ. That's the first part of the message. Oh my goodness, we have, there's no time left. <laughs> so that's the, that's the first part. There is a second part still. Um, believe, that's the first. Believers are gifted to build God's church. Here's the second part, and I'll get through it kind of quickly. Um, it's the goals and results of Christ-centered ministry. What are we doing here? What's the purpose? What's the goal? And then what are the results we can look for along the way? Verse 13, he says, until we all attain the unity of the faith, that's the first goal, the knowledge of the Son of God, that's the second goal, and mature manhood modeled after the statute of Christ. That's the third goal. Unity of the faith, that's the first goal. Knowledge of the Son of God, that's the second goal. And maturity, that's the third goal. So what, what, what are we doing during this process? Those are the things that we're reaching for. The first thing, unity of faith. is John 17, the high priestly prayer. We all know that Jesus wants us to be unified. 
Jesus really, when you think about it, he's the greatest unifier of all time. Ephesians chapter two and three, we, we saw how he took Jew and Gentile, people who hate each other and did what? Made them one. What was impossible for people to accomplish, Jesus accomplished. Philippians two, talks about how every tribe, every tongue, every nation, everybody across the world, unified. Okay, where we put up walls and like to divide and segment ourselves, guess what Jesus does? Nope, one body, perfect unity. Galatians three says there's neither Jew nor Greek nor male nor female nor slave nor free, but we're one in who? One in Christ Jesus. Unity happens when faith in Christ happens. And the only way to true unity in the church is through Jesus because Jesus is the one who unifies his church. Why? Well, it's because the church is about Jesus. The second thing, knowledge of Jesus. 1 Corinthians 2, verses one and two, we have it up on the screen for you. It says this, this is Paul talking to the church of Corinth. And when I came to you, brothers, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, right? I didn't come trying to be this excellent orator of the scriptures, but what did he do? I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Now, if you study the life of Paul, Paul was not dumb. He's brilliant. He studied all of his life so that he could teach the Old Testament to the highest possible degree. He's a really smart guy. So what's he say? He says, when I showed up to you, do you know what I chose to do? I chose to keep the main thing the main thing. Who's the main thing? Jesus. He chooses to keep the main thing, the main thing. Now, maybe you're here this morning and you don't know a lot about Christianity. You don't know a lot about what we're doing. You know what you do need to know? You need to know Jesus. You need to know Jesus. That's the second thing he's trying to do. He's trying to bring knowledge to his church. The third goal is to walk in a maturity modeled after Jesus. He says to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. First John 2, verses five through six, John talks about it there. He says, but whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Paul in Ephesians said, walk worthy. What does the worthy walk look like? It looks like following and walking after Jesus. That's the goal, is to get people to live their life like Jesus. Three goals he gives, unity of faith in Jesus, personal knowledge of who Jesus is and trust in him, and then thirdly, maturity, people who live their life like Jesus. Secondly, he gives us the results of ministry. Verse 14, he says, so that we would no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes, so that we'd no longer be like children. In 1 Corinthians 3, Paul addresses the church and says, hey, when I came, I couldn't address you as adults because y'all were acting like babies. I couldn't give you pure spiritual food. All I could give you was milk. But what happens when we don't pursue those goals? What happens when we don't pursue unity? What happens when we don't pursue to truly know and understand who Christ is? Um, what happens when we don't try to walk worthy in the manner, the same manner in which Christ walked? We end up acting like babies. And what does that result in? He says it results in being tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. He talks about a storm. Tossed by the waves. You ever been in a boat? 
and there's like a big storm going on, that's kind of freaky. Even worse, you ever been in the ocean while that's going on? That's even worse. It's freaky. Carried about by the wind and everything else going on uh, in life. You know those stupid little yellow flowers on Palo Verde trees? (laughs) Those little allergy bombs that make you not breathe in the morning? The image of those things just blowing all over the place. That's what's happening here. When you're not united in the body of Christ, when you don't pursue to understand and know Christ, and when you're not trying to walk in a manner that's worthy, just like the maturity of Christ, you end up acting like a baby. You're tossed to and fro, you're carried all over the place, and then when the storms of life hit you, you, you're just a mess. Now let me be honest with you for a second, I had some baby moments this last week. Not only did I cry like a baby, I acted like a baby. Tossed around by waves, carried about by different... I don't know what to believe. I don't know who to believe. I don't know what's happening. I don't know what's going on. And it leads you to... And am I the only person or does anyone else feel like this? You're just like, what in the world is happening? What's the solution? It's look to the goals, Right? Unity of faith in Christ. Know that Christ's promises are true and they can be trusted. Unity of our faith. Knowledge of who Christ really is. Personal trust and faith in him. Not a mental assent of, yeah, he's real, I get it, but true trust in him. And the third reason, it's maturity. It's you make a decision and choose to act like Jesus. If you don't, then you continue to be tossed around By the waves and the winds, they end up acting like a baby. Verse 15, rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. Who's the head of, who's the, head of the church? Jesus. It's Jesus. Who's the leader of the church? Jesus. It's Jesus. Why does the church exist? Jesus. Okay, keep that same answer going forward, right? Why have you been gifted the way you've been gifted? Jesus. Why are you here this morning? Jesus. Why should we get up out of bed in the morning? Jesus. It's everything. This whole process exists so that the church would grow up into Christ. Not into the image of a different personality, not into the image of whoever your pastor is, not into the image of anyone but Jesus. That's what we're doing here. Verse 16, from whom the whole body joined and held together make by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. I love that, when each part is working properly. It would be great if we could just sit back, relax, get on the bus, and let Jesus bring us where he wants to bring us, but the church is less like a bus and more like a giant pack of bikes where we each do our job. We pedal, we pedal, we pedal, we work, we work, we work. We do the job and fulfill the role that Christ has given us to fulfill, and then what happens? His church grows. Yes, it's ultimately Jesus who grows his church. In fact, in, uh, in Matthew chapter 16, what does Jesus say to his apostles? He says, I will build my church. I will build my church. And the gates of hell, they won't prevail against it. Yes, Jesus is in fact building his church, but he has equipped each of us uniquely and given us a part to play. And when we play our part, when everyone plays their part, the church is healthy. The church glorifies Jesus. The church serves Jesus. 
And I love that he says that it builds itself up in love. Turn with me real quick. We'll close with this to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Actually, we'll go 1 Corinthians 13. 1 Corinthians 13. Paul's talking about spiritual gifts and the way God equips us to lead and serve his church. 1 Corinthians 13, starting in verse 1, he says this. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but I have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. You know, I'm, I'm obnoxious. Okay, if I do the really cool stuff that we see in the New Testament, if I do all those really awesome things, but I'm not a lover of God and I'm not a lover of people, I'm obnoxious. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith, all of those things sound amazing. I'd love to have all of those things. But if I have not love, I'm nothing. If I give away all I have and deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. And then he tells us what love is. He says, love is patient and kind. Love doesn't envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It doesn't insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but it rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. Verse 13, he says, so now faith, hope, and love abide these three, but the greatest of these is what? It's love. It's the supreme Christian ethic. It's love. Friends, as we seek to rebuild and heal and everything else that we are undergoing here at Highlands Church, would you not forget love? Love. He's equipped us, he's gifted us, he's done everything on his part to bring us to a place where we can understand what our gifts are so that we can rebuild his church. But if we do that, that's not from a place of love, it's not going to work. I'd encourage you, love. So what does this passage tell us about Jesus and his church? Well, there's a few observations we've made along the way. One, we've seen that Jesus saves his church. We've seen that Jesus raises leaders to serve his church. We see that Jesus gives gifts to help his church. We see that Jesus unifies his church. We see that Jesus pursues relationship with his church. We see it's Jesus by his stature that matures his church. We see it's Jesus that leads his church. We see that it's Jesus who builds his church. What does that mean? It means the church is about Jesus. Every church, this church, is about Jesus. Maybe even a better way to put it, Romans 11, verse 36, he says, for from him and through him and to him are all things, to him be glory forever, amen. What's Paul's perspective? Paul's perspective is that everything is about Jesus. Everything. Is Jesus your everything? He's either everything or he's nothing, but one place he cannot be, he cannot just be a something. I wanna close by asking a couple questions. One, how has God gifted you to serve his church? How has God gifted you to serve his church? Now you can go on Google and search spiritual gifts test and there's all sorts of things that come up and you could take one of those and figure something out about yourself. Um, in addition to that, we have a My Best Fit class here at Highlands Church on May 27th. If you are interested right now, and I, I hope and pray that you would be interested to find out how God can use your gifts to serve his church, specifically here at Highlands, go to that class. May 27th. 
my best fit. You can learn how you can best serve the body of Christ here with Highlands Church. And then secondly, what's your life all about? The church is all about Jesus and everything is supposed to be all about Jesus. What is your life all about? This morning, we have another chance to take communion and I can't think of a better way um, to close out this week, um, this morning and everything else than to look to Jesus again. In communion, we do three things. We look back at what Christ has done for us and that he's accomplished our salvation. We look in to see what's going on in our heart. And then we also look forward in recognition and awaiting that Christ will someday come back and restore and bring back his church to himself. And now we get to live with him forever. So as those trays come around, I would invite you to just take a moment to yourself to bow your head, to close your eyes um, and do that. Look back at what Christ has done for you. Look inside to see what else Christ is trying to do inside of you and then look forward because someday Christ will return. Go ahead and you can take those cups. I'll come back up and lead us in just a second. The night Jesus was betrayed, he was with his disciples in the upper room and they were having dinner. During dinner, he stopped and he grabbed a piece of bread and he said, this bread represents my body which is broken for you. Would you do this in remembrance of me? He also stopped and took a cup and he said, this cup represents the new covenant in my blood. Every time you drink this, would you do it in remembrance of me? Would you stand with me as we close in prayer? I'd invite you, if you're comfortable, to just do this. I love doing this in worship. It's just a reminder to me that nothing I have is my own. It's kind of my Jesus take the wheel moment. Of just it's yours. Would you, would you do as you wish with whatever situation going on? Would you do as you wish with my life? Jesus, we submit ourselves to you this morning. We submit ourselves to be used by you for the building up of your church, for your glory and your glory alone. God, would each of us, as we seek to pursue you and love you, that would we get out of your way? God, would any glory be deflected away from us and on to you, the Son, to Jesus Christ the Lord? God, we recognize this morning that Highlands is your church, that it belongs to you, that it exists for you, that it is for your glory and your glory alone. God, would you help us close um, in a right manner this morning that we would worship you with everything we have, God, that we would not hold back, but we would find our hope, our faith, our trust, our everything in you. Jesus, thank you for always leading us. Thank you for always guiding us. And thank you for always loving us. God, would we return that favor of love now back to you as we worship you through song. And all Christ's people said, amen. Amen.